Welcome to another edition of Membership World, the podcast for membership professionals. I'm Gordon Glenister, and in the next five episodes, we're going to be looking at different ways to increase your membership in challenging times. Today, we're going to start off with the first of those, which is to create a unique benefit that's both timely and relevant. I also want to say a big thank you to RD Mobile for sponsoring this podcast. COVID-19 has had a profound effect on us all, with trade associations and membership bodies being no different. But with a bit of creative thinking and the ability to spot an opportunity, tough times can be turned into an organisation's advantage. Since lockdown, there's been an increased sense of us all getting through this together, which in the membership world, let's face it, is what it's all about. I caught up with the CEO of the UK Warehousing Association, Peter Ward, to find out about how they've been coping and how working with the government through the pandemic created a chance for them to actively assist their members and keep the supply chains running. First of all, Peter started by telling me a little bit more about the association. UK Warehousing Association, we just celebrated our 75th anniversary last year. So with, with various name changes over that period, it's been, it's been on the go for a while. Um, formed in 1944 as the National Association of Inland Warehouse Keepers. And it was about sort of moving warehousing at the time away from predominantly the ports and mainly London and Liverpool under the threat of war to, to inland uh, destinations. So that's how it all came about. And of course, over time, the, the inland bit has been dropped and, and obviously warehousing has gone back to the ports in some, some cases. So, you know, everything that we do in this logistics world is kind of cyclical. But yeah, so 70, uh, well, this is our 76th uh, year now. It's, it's totally corporate membership, so absolute trade body. And, and sometimes we have to make that distinction to understand, you know, what our role is versus the role of the professional organisations. We are now at about 800 members. 25% are associate members, companies that are on the supply side to the industry. So the forklift truck suppliers, the racking, the warehouse management systems, the consultants, all of the, all of the advice, guidance, goods, services and everything else because we we provide a a nice kind of multiplier effect in terms of giving those guys reach into the membership which is a really kind of controlled niche audience for them and of course that's quite a key driver of revenue streams as well if you do it right as i'm sure you you know so we've got about 200 associate members and the other 600 members effectively are what used to be called the warehouse keepers, but we kind of call them logistics service providers today or 3PLs or, you know. And, of course, over the over the time, the lines have, have got a bit more blurred. So we're in the world now where logistics providers tend to do a bit of everything. I'm sure back in 1944, there were freight forwarders, there were transport operators, there were warehouse keepers, and they were all sort of distinct in their, in their functions. But... Yeah, we've got members that are transport operators doing some warehousing, freight forwarders that are doing some warehousing. There'll be there'll probably also be members, therefore, of the Road Haulage Association or BIFA and so on. I guess the interest of those companies in joining uh, UKWA is they've got some kind of core competence somewhere in the organisation of running warehousing. And I think it, it's probably true to say that the 
whilst we we strive on a daily basis to continually evolve, develop, expand our member services and member benefits, the key benefit of membership to probably 500 out of that 600 is the, the access to our terms and conditions. For a small operator who's operating a small, let's say, 50, 60,000 square foot warehouse, it costs them less than £600 a year for the membership. And, and the, the access to the terms and conditions more than kind of pay, pay for that. In fact, it's cheap as chips, really, because it gives them all of that protection, liability. And it makes it very easy for them to, for them to do business then with the open world on a, on a kind of shared service basis. Because they can simply put on every email that they send or every letterhead, all business transacted under UK WA terms and conditions. And they're kind of covered They've got all of that, uh, all of that sort of coverage, and it puts the onus then on, on the owner of the goods to uh, to make sure that all the insurances are in place and uh, and so on. So, that's probably our, our sort of key strand of uh, of benefit, if you like, particularly to the SMEs. Having said that, at the top end of our membership, we have you know all the big guys are in there. I mean, they're small in they're small in number compared to the SMEs. So I guess we. You know, we reflect UK PLC, don't we? You know, we're this nation of shopkeepers. So we've got 600 members and probably, yeah, out of the 600, 150 of them are probably operating one location under 100,000 square feet. So we've got a very long tail of SMEs. But at the top of that tail, we've got the likes of Eddie Stobart and Siva Logistics and DHL and Kuna Nagel. There's only 20 of those, you know, the mega, the XPO logistics, the, the mega multinational players. And I, I, I was doing a, a bit of research on this only uh, last week, just going through one of the publications. They published this kind of top 50 logistics companies in, um, in the country. And um, I think 42 out of the 50 are members of UKWA and the other eight are actually just parcel carriers that would have no relevance of being members anyway. So people like DPD and and uh, and so on. So so I think we've you know I'm not saying that we've got it totally covered, but yeah we're we're there or thereabouts. But it is literally the big the big challenge for me is the value proposition, if you like, of membership to DHL is very different to the value proposition to skateboard warehousing at the bottom end of the, you know, skateboard haulage, doing a bit of warehousing at the bottom of the of the tree. Um, and so we have to, you know, we have to work quite hard at that. And I think probably the value for the larger guys is being part of our other mainstream activity, which is being a voice on behalf of the entire industry. I want to, I want to position UKWA so that the government like us, we we position ourselves as the conduit between policymakers and our members at the coalface, and we provide the interaction that's needed to help our members be part of shaping policy and actually give some constructive advice to government rather than at every meeting either going with your begging bowl or your baseball bat to beat them over the head. We keep fairly close to... Um, the RHA and and for I mean, as I say, from the industry, my background, and particularly back to the you know the family business days in freight forwarding, you know, I know that know the guys in in Bifa reasonably well. So there's always been that sort of close working relationship. And of course, we all 
we'll go to each other's annual lunches and 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 do that sort of thing. So yeah, we've always had a relationship, but yeah, actually, COVID, COVID really kicked that back into life, and um, in fact, very early in the process, and it was probably. Oh, I'm not, it might even have been March and not not even into April. And, and very soon after the, the furlough scheme was announced, there was a sort of joint communique and we've, we've sort of followed up on it several times, which was us, the RHA, FTA, and indeed CILT as the sort of members professional body. So, so there's been quite a lot of joining of forces, actually, just in terms of making sure that, one, the message is consistent, and, and two, that it's a strong one. We've just had our AGM, and I, rep- I did thank the board for supporting me last year in taking what was actually quite a difficult step because, and I think this is, you know, it's, a, it's not a long story, but it's, it's relevant. Just before I joined back in 2014, the board at the time had decided to take out a 10-year lease on an office building in Gower Street in London, and there was a lot of debate that I wasn't involved with because it was before my time. But back in, yeah, 2013, 14, you know, where do we go? The, the office in the Strand had been put over to compulsory purchase. The association had been there since Adam was a lad and it needed a new home. And, and half the board said, look, you know, why do we need to be in London? It's bloody expensive. You know, we're paying, you know, £100 a square foot or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, we should be, we should be out. We don't have any members in London. I mean, all the members are, you know, up country. We should be up amongst the members. And the other half of the board said, no, London's the place to be. It's the seat of government. It's the one place all roads and trains lead to London. And, you know, people can, you know, make a, make a day of other things by UKWA being in London. So, so in the end, they took out this 10-year lease on this building at Gower Street. And it was costing an arm and a leg, for one thing. And it was only washing its face uh, because we had to put a subtenant into two floors of a five, little Georgian house, five stories, cellar, ground floor, three stories above. Uh, and we were rattling around in it because we're only a small team of four or five people. So anyway, last year, cutting, cutting the long story short, I, I went to the board and said, look, I'd like to exercise the break clause that's coming up in this lease. Um, which means we're going to have to give half of the rent-free thing back, and we're going to take a hit of about sixty or seventy thousand on a penalty clause. Blah 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 blah. But if we do it, it'll it'll hit us financially this year, but but it'll set us up with a huge amount of flexibility for the future, and it'll mean we can go wherever we want, and we can find some office that's kind of right-sized. And and of course, pre-COVID, um, the world was really for us or for me evolving around Brexit and so three or four days a week in London going to meetings at the Treasury and everywhere else purely around around Brexit we we ended up taking some serviced office in a Regis office right on the corner of uh, Trafalgar Square on the corner of Northumberland Avenue and Whitehall but you know kind of cut cut the costs so so that's where we are now we took a 12-month contract so we're only committed to that until September this year We've had a long debate about this over the last few weeks and concluded that um, we, we, need a, we need a hybrid. It, it, it won't work for us with everyone working from home. We need a base. We need a presence. We need that London address um, uh, and so on and so forth. And we need somewhere where, as a team, we can get together every so often because, you know, these Zoom meetings are okay to a point. 
But I mean, I you know, I mean, I've I've got to I've got to completely rewrite the budget, and I need to sit down with my finance guy, and and get you know get the papers out on the desk and go. I can't do that on a you know in an online environment as as good as these things are. That just isn't going to work. So so we need to get together. So what we've actually done now in the last um, this is literally in the last week, we've renegotiated with Regis and uh, we've um, we've terminated the. Um, given notice on the contract that we have for i don't know what we've got 500 square feet or something and uh, and we're just taking a much smaller office in the same building and we're bringing the cost down by about 70 grand a year so reducing the cost from about 100k to probably about 30 no it's been very easy to organize meetings because yeah you simply look and if there's a gap in the diary between one and two you say yeah, i can do that at one o'clock you haven't got to worry about going somewhere it's getting in touch with people has 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 worked but yeah so so that's that's where we are on the office thing staff wise they all reacted pretty well we already had a couple of um, sort of people working yeah home working in any event simply because they're not kind of london based so that that all dropped in. We put the office phones sort of on divert to um, to my exec PA, who who sort of provides the first triage on on kind of member inquiries, and she will tell you. I mean, we we you know we used to go quite long periods in the office where the phone wouldn't ring, which in some ways is kind of you know a good thing because you know members are just getting on, everybody's happy. But also a bit worrying that, you know, nobody's asking us for any help with anything. So, you know, are we really delivering value and do they know we're there? You know, blah, all that member engagement stuff. But Sue would tell you she's just been as busy now in this environment as ever in five years, you know, with me at UKWA. It is nonstop. Our uh, financial year in UKWA runs from April to March. One thing that I I sort of have been working away at introducing since joining uh, was to get it onto more of a rolling thing and, and the mechanism for doing that was to get some of the smaller members onto direct debit and and most of the, the the new members that we take on or have taken on in the last couple of years since we set it up have gone on to direct debit but it's less just under 15 percent of the entire membership so we've still got 85 percent and you know, all of the kind of legacy membership that are on this 1st of April annual renewal. So all the invoices are, are ready to go, aren't they? And, and everything else. And we're thinking, oh, shit, this is going to be, yeah. However, touching wood, we've had one or two kind of resignation, member resignations. But in the last three months, we've, I mean, we had 14 resignations last month and 30 new members. So we're still in a net growth mode, even through COVID. And I think that is testimony to the way that we have gone about, one, supporting our members through this and being seen to be supporting our members and introducing other sort of schemes where we've really ramped up the, the kind of benefits of being a UKWA member. And, and in fact, there were one or two, well, there were three companies particularly that I was conscious of over the last two or three years. And I won't mention any names, but there were three companies, all quite sizable in terms of warehousing operations, that I could not persuade to join the association. Mainly because they are also freight forwarders and their members are beefer. 
And there's one company, and you will know them, they're, they're quite a large concern. It's probably still the largest family-owned business in the freight forwarding sector. The chairman there, you know, has been the chairman of, of BIFA in the past. So his attitude has been, no, 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 I've, I've, you know, everything that we do, we can use the BIFA terms and conditions, even our warehousing, it's fine. There's no point in me spending more money joining your organisation. Well, then at the start of April, when we sat down and sort of thought, right, what are we going to do here? One, to sort of help our members, but also with a mind on what was happening in the market and what the government were getting concerned about from some of the feedback that we were able to provide to them, there was a potential crisis looming. And so we we set up an emergency space register for warehouse space because what was actually happening in the supply chain was as everything went into hibernation, nothing going out to stores or, you know, and, and minimal online at the, at the immediate uh, point of crisis, but containers from the Far East still sort of flowing in. So warehouses were filling up and the supply chain was backing up. The other thing that we did at the time was we immediately carried out a survey of our members to get some real hard evidence around this. And we teased out some other things as well. We were able through the survey to get some really good hard evidence that in 80% of the cases, our members are in uh, rented accommodation and that their storage revenues account for less than 40% of their overall revenue streams to kind of dispel the myth because the media are out there saying, oh, the warehousing, you know, warehouses are full, they're making loads of money. Missing the point that actually in this sector, where you make the small margin that you make is on turn of inventory and provision of value-added services. So lock filling a warehouse and throwing the keys away so we also, through April, had this potential crisis looming where we were on twice weekly calls with the government tracking with other trade associations like the UK Major Ports Group, the British Ports Association, again, BIFA and so on, and some of my contacts in the, in the shipping companies as well to try and actually understand what the volume of intake was coming in because the one thing that we couldn't allow to happen in the national interest was for ports to become congested because then then all of that PPE that everybody was kind of waiting for to come in from China would have got clogged up and, and so on and so forth. So we had to make sure that supply chains kept moving. So we did the survey and, and then we set up this uh, emergency space register and encouraged our members then to let us know anybody that's got any kind of pockets of space available let's get it on the register and and suddenly it was like inundated with you know members feeling oh great well the association are going to advertise advertise our, our, our usps for us so so we did that and, and actually it enabled us to get these other businesses on board because i was able to pick up the phone to the chairman of the family-owned freight forwarding business and say look you know Philip, I know we've had these conversations, you know, on and off over the, over time, but um, this is what we're doing, and I think you, you know, you ought to be part of it. And and yeah, he did, and and he's one of the big. He's up in the category F, over a million square feet of of operations. So, so we've had some successes as a result of it, but only as a result really of seeing the opportunity and working bloody hard at it, you know. I guess, in a way, COVID has kind of reinforced a lot of messages that were out there before the crisis. 
In terms of climate change, you know, less travel, don't jump in your car, you know, all that sort of thing. So it's really, it's really hit, put a lot of ticks in boxes in terms of the climate change agenda. But the other big agenda for us, and, and, and we, were, we were very lucky, we had our national conference the very first week in March. And we only had out of 195 delegates, we only had two people that didn't come because they were worried about COVID. One of the sessions I remember really, really clearly was talking about the potential opportunities going forward. And this, of course, was, you know, we thought, I suppose at that time, we thought COVID was just going to be another kind of SARS. This thing's, you know, it's in China. There's a few people coming out of China. It'll go away within a few weeks and it, just like SARS did and, you know, whatever. Our conference was focused quite positively on on the kind of world ahead. And, and it was still, you know, Brexit was still in there and so on and so forth. But I remember standing up at the conference and producing or, 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 or sort of uh, referencing a report that uh, the British Property Federation had uh, put out just a few days before that said, um, as a result of the explosion of e-commerce, which is going to go from 11p in the pound to 19p in the pound over the next 20 years, there's going to be a requirement for an extra 25 million square feet of warehousing space every year for the next 20 years in, in the sector. It's going to need another 25,000 employees in the sector incrementally every year for the next 20 years. And so we were presenting this as because... You know, as the as the high street's gone into demise, and a lot of that activity where uh, goods were put in the hands of consumers in a retail store, those goods are now going to the consumer from a fulfilment centre. That is our world, and so our message to our members was, you know, wake up and smell the coffee. Now you're going to have to maybe, you know, get off your backs of fag packets and spreadsheets and whatever, and get onto the digital transformation and start thinking about the internet of things and better integration of data and that whole digital journey, which is a massive education program for a lot of our, what I would call hairy ass warehouse operators. But that was the message. You know, if you don't, if you ignore, if you ignore this guys, ignore it at your peril, but, but a land of huge opportunity. So that was all, that was all pre COVID. We were talking about this all being driven by, the millennials and Generation Z and, and all of that sort of stuff. What's actually happened in COVID now is my mother, who fortunately has got grandchildren old enough to show her how to do it, now orders her groceries online. Now, what it proved, actually, what, what the whole this whole explosion proved was, in, in terms of the grocery retailers particularly, they were only playing at it pre-COVID. Because the fact that their websites fell over and the fact they had to withdraw from the market and close down, they didn't have the infrastructure to meet the demand. So again, huge opportunity because for so many people now, that is going to be the preferred norm way of doing business. And so huge challenges for the grocery retailers, how they, how they gear up for that. But given the challenges that they have within the retail sector generally, and the fact that, as a general rule, retailers don't do complex, they outsource it. If it's complex, they outsource it, right? Because retailers just like buying stuff and selling stuff. So huge opportunity for our members to step up to the plate and provide those uh, multiple, you know, networks, 
stocking locations close to consumers and, 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 and be able to provide those services on a kind of shared user basis to, to, to the retail sector. Massive, massive opportunity that's been accelerated through, through the process. Training and education, it, it was something that didn't exist when I came in and I said, look, you know, we, we can't be a you know, trade association without, without having a, a kind of learning platform and, and service. So, so over time, we developed that working with external partners, um, but we do have some CPDs for running for, you know, warehouse supervisors, warehouse managers. So there is a CPD development program, you know, in the, in the portfolio. I have to say that the take up on that has, has been slower than, than we'd like. And it's, it's, you know, on my agenda to have a look at that and, and address that. That's somewhat separate from the events program, and, and our events program is taking a big hit um, at the moment. I mean, our, our big event, our big annual event, is the annual lunch, and we have some awards as well, annual luncheon awards, which we hold at the Dorchester. It's one of the leading kind of social events, and, and we've, you know, there's lots of these things, and there's lots of evening black tie things We've, we've, again, separated ourselves out from the rank and file in the market because it's a lunch and, and we get some very high profile kind of, I mean, we had Princess Anne last year because it was our 75th, but we have some pretty high profile speakers and, and, and guests and, and even, you know, they, they have said to me, you know, people like Andrew Marr um, the year before last, for example, said, oh, the, this is just um, very, it's like the start of summer. It's like for your industry, it feels like it's the kind of summer, the summer launch, summer lunch. We're just in the process actually of, of talking to them again uh, to see, we're probably going to end up skipping this year and just seeing if we can roll it all forward to, uh, to next June. So we've got, we've got quite a financial exposure out on our Dorchester event and um it's uh, we're we're not quite sure they were they were very good on the first sort of postponement from March to November just sort of rolled it forward we're just sort of fingers crossed that they will roll forward again some really great ideas from Peter Ward of the UK Warehousing Association there this podcast is sponsored by RD Mobile, award-winning event and member engagement solutions used by over 350 organizations in 20 countries, powering virtual events and delivering ongoing value. Find out more at rdmobile.com. On the next edition of Membership World, I'm going to be talking to Andy Burnham, who's the CEO of the British Dietetic Association. They've seen a doubling of their normal monthly membership growth during the pandemic. So tune in next time to find out how they've done it. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll get notified of all the new episodes. And if you've got a moment to review and rate this podcast, that would be really helpful to us. If you have any feedback or would like to suggest a subject for us to cover, please email myself, Gordon, at gordonglenister.com. And lastly, a big thank you to my producer, Neil Whiteside from Freedom One. So until then, from me, Gordon Glenister, it's bye for now.